Continuing with our lesson discussing the Makki and Madani surahs of the Quran or even the Makki and Madani verses. So just to recap briefly, the last part was the various views. The first view with regards to what is Makki and what is Madani was uh, that it refers to the places Makkah and Medina. And we explained that this would be an incomplete type of definition which excludes many verses that might have not been revealed in Makkah or Medina. There were certain verses revealed not on earth. In fact, in the night of Mi'raj, we know the, the gift of Salah was given to Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But also there was another gift given to Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and that is the last two ayat of Surah Al-Baqarah. From Aman al-Rasul bima unzila ilayhi min rabbihi wal mu'minun. Till the end of the surah. Those two verses... Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, I was blessed those two verses from a treasure below the arsh of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So those were also gifts given to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam on the night of Mi'raj. So they were not revealed in Mecca or in Medina. The second type would be, um, whether it be, the, as we see, do Makki verses address the people of Mecca or the people of Medina. This also is, would not be uh, all-encompassing because some verses were addressed directly to Rasulullah So the preferred view of Makki and Madani surahs and verses of the Qur'an is pre-Hijrah and versus post-Hijrah, um, without taking into consideration where the place is. So this would mean it's a type of terminology which was used by the Sahaba anhum. And we said, how do we know which is which? So relying on the statements of Sahaba, which is conclusive. And the second would be relying on the themes characteristics, the style, to deduce which category the verse belongs to. So we said, like some ulama explained, certain verses uh, were revealed in winter. So the verses in which the accusations were laid against Ummul Mu'mineen Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu anha, that was in the season of winter, because some parts of the event were being described in hadith, showed you how the sahaba were dressed and what uh, type of environment there was. The battle of, of, of Khandaq, of the trench, uh, it happened in the season of, of winter, the famous a story of Sayyidina Jabir ibn Abdullah radiallahu So this is the, the, the characteristics where he says that Rasulullah sallallahu was very hungry and he had two stones fastened to his belly and was very cold, extremely cold. And the cold of Medina Munawwara is similar to the cold of Johannesburg, dry. And the, you get that, that chilling wind that in the morning and in the evening. And um, he said, I, I told Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, my wife told me to invite him and I think I mentioned the story previously where Rasulullah then went and took the whole army with him and partook of a meal at the house of Sayyidina Jabir radiallahu and Jabir ibn Abdullah and um, 1,400 people were fed from the food prepared only for 10 or less than that. So those type of circumstances indicate to us what season it would have been and this is why people like Imam Suyuti, the great uh, scholar of, of Ahlul Sunnah uh, he has uh, identified those verses and surahs, some revealed in winter, some in summer, some at night, some during the day. 
and uh, besides those which are well known as Makki and Madani verses. Okay. There we go. So the content of Makki and Madani verses. This would be a brief breakdown of some of the identifiable differences which you could notice between these uh, two types of verses. The first we'll see in Makkah Mukarramah would be the core beliefs in Aqidah. And this is the basis of our deen. And on this point I said I wanted to continue to give you an example of how uh, the verses of Makkah Mukarramah and how strong they were and how uh, emphasized they were in laying the foundation of Iman. Firstly, we have to remember it was an environment of polytheism and mushrikeen, people worshipping idols, idols that they fashioned with their own hands and idols that they fashioned out of stone and various things. In fact, on one occasion, one said, now Umar was laughing and somebody asked him, what, what's so funny, O Amir al-Mu'mineen? So he said, no, I was just remembering in the days of Jahiliyyah, I was traveling and I had my idol with me, but the idol was made of dates. You know, so he said, my provisions were exhausted and I thought to myself, hey, now I'm really hungry. And the next point to stop would be uh, uh, after a while. So he said, I thought, okay, he won't mind. So he said, I broke the hand off and I ate the hand of the idol. It was made of dates. It was like a sweet type of... And in this way, he said, I ate of the whole idol. And he said, but when I was in that state of, of darkness, it didn't, it didn't uh, um, uh, occur to me as to what type of ignorance this is. Because I've, I made this myself. It was prepared for me. It had a form, and this is what I did to it, and consumed the entire idol. So this type of, of, of uh, belief was very common, attributing uh, things to the idols, and there were so many in number, more than 300 that were in, on top, and around the Baytullah, the Kaaba. So the verses of Makkah Mukarramah, they were core beliefs. On one occasion, the mushrikeen of Makkah, they came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and they said to him, Unsub lana rabbak. Explain to us the lineage of your Rabb. So obviously Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not have a lineage. Lineage is within the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the surah al-ikhlas. Qul huwa Allahu ahad, Allahu samad, lam yalid wa lam yulad wa lam yakullahu kufuwan ahad. I think it's a surah our children also know. But it is such a valuable surah and it is the foundation and the seed of iman that is put in the hearts of the mu'mineen. And generally those things which are the most needed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made those things easily accessible and easily available. We need air to survive. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it freely available. From the surahs of the Qur'an, this is one of the shortest surahs and it's one of the easiest surahs that even children learn. So what is the meaning of the surah? It is very important for us to realize that if we want to understand the verses of the, of, the, of the Qur'an and the meaning of these verses, it wouldn't be sufficient for us to rely purely on just English translation. Because you have words within these verses that have such a deep meaning that if I just give you, and I'll explain it to you inshallah by way of example, if I just give you a loose translation in English, it would not do justice to what is actually intended in this verse. And basically in belief as Muslims, there's two types of verses in the, in the Qur'an which, uh, which deal with matters of belief. The first is called muhkamat. I didn't make notes of this because I thought I'll just highlight it on this point, so I would prefer that you 
you just uh, listen to it and absorb it, inshallah. Muhkamat, in, if you want to check it up, you would find it in uh, Surah Ali Imran, that is uh, chapter 3. It's uh, on the first page where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes this particular distinction. The verses with regards to the verses of the Quran and how uh, they are categorized. The first, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, He is the being that has created the kitab. And in it, there are verses which are called muhkamat. Okay, the word, I'll repeat it, muhkamat. Muhkam means something which is emphatically clear. It, it has absolutely no ambiguity in its, in its sentence construction, in the choice of words, and in its message. It's absolutely clear. Muhkamat. And Allah says, ummul kitab. And the muhkamat is the um of the kitab. The word um in Arabic means mother. It's a well-known word, um. But the actual meaning of, of um is root, foundation. This is why Mecca is called ummul qura, the root of all the cities of the world. That's where the dunya started spreading out from. So our mother is like our foundation. It's a root for us. This is why it's a root for us to enter into Jannah. If we serve that root, it's uh, easy for us to get access into Jannah. So the muhkamat, these verses which are absolutely crystal clear without ambiguity in its meaning, they are the ummul kitab, aslul kitab, the foundation of the kitab of the Qur'an. In other words, if you need to understand anything in the Qur'an, you need to understand it from those verses which are absolutely clear, which we call the muhkamat. Muhkamat is the plural, and the singular is muhkam. وَأُخَرُوا مُتَشَابِهَاتِ and other types of verses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says are mutashabihat. So there's two types of verses. One is muhkam, and the second is mutashabih. Mutashabih means those verses which have ambiguity or multiple meanings possessed in the Arabic language. So a word in the Arabic language has many meanings. And I'm, I don't want to digress too much, but I'll give you an example because it has been common. People were talking about it the past a few weeks ago. Somebody sent me a message, and a whole long message, and they said, you know, you people say Mawlana, and the word Mawlana, you can't use it for a human being because it is kufr. In the Quran, we say, Anta Mawlana, for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I don't know if your brothers have uh, come across that message. So that particular argument is because of ignorance of this particular rule that I'm explaining now. Because the word Mawla in Arabic has got 15 meanings. 15, one five, one five. <clears throat> in the books of fiqh, you'll find the word mawla in the meaning of mu'tiq. Mu'tiq, in the days of slavery, the person who frees a slave is called, uh, is called, called mawla. Right? And the slave, al-mu'taq, the one who has been freed, is also called mawla. And in the, in the sequence of distribution of inheritance, in the per period in which they, uh, they were slaves, if a person passes away and he, he leaves behind no family members, he doesn't have any shari'i a doesn't have parents or children or siblings, etc. Then Sharia considers the right of that person who freed him if he was a slave previously. So that person is his mawla, and he is the mawla to that person. Okay, So that's one meaning. Another meaning of mawla is rabb, sustainer and creator. That's one of the meanings of mawla. Another meaning of mawla is nasir, a person who helps, or muhsin, somebody who does a favor unto you. Uh, another meaning of uh, Mawla is a supporter. Another meaning of Mawla is relative, a cousin. 
ادعوهم لآبائهم هو أقسط عند الله فإن لم تعلموا آباءهم فإخوانكم في الدين ومواليكم they are your brothers so the word مولى has got many meanings so when a person understands that okay this word has got multiple meanings it doesn't automatically mean that every meaning which exists in the Arabic language for this particular word can be attributed to Allah when we say for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala رَبَّنَا وَلَا تُحَمِّلْنَا مَا لَا طَاقَةَ لَنَا بِهِ وَعَفُ عَنَّا وَاغْفِرْ لَنَا وَارْحَمْنَا أَنْتَ مَوْلَانَا فَانْصُرْنَا عَلَى الْقَوْمِ الْكَافِرِينَ Can any sane person say that the word Mawla means cousin? That we, that we say Allah is our cousin or Allah is our freed slave, na'udhu billah, or Allah has freed us as we were his slaves and now we're free? No. Automatically, we understand that what is the muhkam? The muhkam is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is khaliq, is the creator of everything. He brought it into existence from non-existence. And now any meaning which you wish to ascribe to Allah from these meanings need to correspond with the muhkam, with the foundation. And this is a simple example from the, the, the two categories which Allah has explained in this verse. Muhkamat, hunna ummul kitab is the foundation. Wa ukharu mutashabihat. And you'll find some verses which have ambiguity. In order for you to understand the correct meaning of those verses which outwardly have multiple meanings in the Arabic language, you need to cross-reference it with the muhkam, which is the foundation. So with regards to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the core belief and aqidah. Aqidah uh, means your creed. Aqada in Arabic means to fasten a knot. Aqada means to fasten a knot. So the belief in, 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 in the heart of a Muslim is such that he... He places it in his heart and he ties it up to ensure that it doesn't slip out. And this is why constantly in the way of our, our predecessors, the main dua they made constantly was dua for husnul, husnul khatima. To die with, uh, with goodness on iman, with pure iman. That that not doesn't open and a person is not deceived with doubts and fitna and he doesn't lose his iman. So, Surah Ikhlas is one of the muhkamat. Surah Al-Ikhlas is one of the, in fact, this entire surah is muhkam. It's so clear in its meaning, and it is a foundational surah in the aqidah of, of the ummah of Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ Now, in our weak um, language of English, although it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a rich language and it's an old language, you're not uh, trivializing its, its value or but in comparison to the, to the depth within the, the language of the Qur'an and the language which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen, we'll see, you'll see the, 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 the shortfall in the translation. So we say, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ So we say, say Allah is one. That's, that's the common translation, right? Allah is one. But in Arabic, one is wahid. Okay. And Wahid is also one of the 99 names of Allah. Al-Wahid, Al-Ahad, Al-Samad. Okay. So what is the meaning of Wahid then? Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, the great scholar of the first and second century after the Sahaba, radiallahu anhum, he said, Inna Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wahidun la min tariq al-adad walakin min tariq annahu la sharika lahum. He said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is wahid not as number one, because number one is a creation, and number one is part of number two, which is part of number three. In other words, they are components of one another. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is wahid from the angle that he possesses no partner. When we say wahid, it means he is partnerless. That's the meaning of wahid. So it's not just one, okay? But if you translate it in English, you say, okay, he's one. 
Bei Surah Ikhlas, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, den use the word Wahid. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Qulhu Allahu Ahad. The words which were echoing on the tongue of Sayyidina Bilal radiallahu anhu. He could have said, Allahu Wahid. They tell him, worship Hubal and, and Uzza and Lat and all those idols. But he's saying, Ahad, this was ingrained in their hearts. So the meaning of Ahad in Arabic is, Alladhi la yatajazza. That being that does not comprise of components. He is not made up of parts. So he doesn't have body parts or limbs or anything which generally that we notice in the creation. So that meaning, now you can see for yourself, if you just translate the English, it's very difficult for you to, to be able to grasp the desired meaning which is intended in this particular verse. Say, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ahad. And this is why personally, my personal preference when I, when I mention any of the attributes which refer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I like to say the Arabic first because that is what is revealed in the Quran and then explain the meaning of that particular attribute because sometimes the translation is, doesn't do justice to what is actually intended. The next part is, it's a very simple uh, uh, surah but you can see how deep it's going. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not comprise of any components, doesn't have body parts. So therefore that already negates the ideology which, which the Nasara have of some old man sitting in the sky, which they call the father which art in heaven, you know, when they mention there. So automatically the, 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 the person visualizes uh, some old type of person and he's sitting on a chair and he, they want his son to sit next to him on the day of, uh, of judgment which all goes contrary to this particular verse. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that he does not comprise of, he doesn't have any components. Allahu samad Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is as-samad. What is the meaning of as-samad? We say Allah is independent. Which is a good meaning, but it is an incomplete meaning. Because the word samad in Arabic means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not need any of his creation from the malaika, anbiya, from human beings, animals, jinn. Allah does not need any of his creation, but the entire creation needs him. So if I'm independent of you, I say, I don't need you. You can tell me, well, I don't need you too. So independent is only half the actual desired meaning of this particular verse. Yeah, as-samad, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling, telling us, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is completely free from any needs, but you all need him. You all need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is the second part of the, of the of Surah Al-Ikhlas. قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدُ اللَّهُ الصَّمَدُ لَمْ يَلِدْ وَلَمْ يُولَدْ Yeah, the English language gets fancy, you know. They say, he does not beget, nor was he begotten. In other words, he doesn't give birth, nor was birth given unto him. That in reality as the scholars explain, means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't have a shape and a form which came from something, nor did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give birth to something else. That already it denies and rejects the belief of Isa alayhi salam being the son of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because there is some attachment between a son and a father, that something is, it leaves the body of the father which results in the existence of the son. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not a form. He doesn't have a form. Allah subhanahu So, this, so we can see how clear these meanings are. Lam yalid wa lam yulad. Allah doesn't have a form from which something comes out, nor did he come out of anything else. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't have um, parts of his being 
floating around in his creation. وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ كُفُوًا أَحَدٍ And the last part of the surah is the final uh, advice of the muhkam, the clear, explicit instruction of what we should believe about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is nothing the like unto Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Kufu means comparable, something which is equal to Allah. This word kufu is used in the books of fiqh. When a person uh, wants to get married, then they say that the girl should be she should find somebody compatible, somebody who is from a similar thinking, a similar background, so it's easy for them to, to make their life going ahead. So kufu, kufu wan ahad, means there is, no, there is nothing which is similar to Allah. So this whole surah is a surah of, of aqidah, a surah of a core belief. And there are many verses like this in the Quran. For example, laysa kamithlihi shay' There is nothing like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imam Abu Hanifa, in explaining this verse also, he says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى لَا يُشْبِهُ شَيْئًا مِّنْ خَلْقِهِ وَلَا يُشْبِهُهُ شَيْئًا مِّنْ خَلْقِهِ Allah does not resemble anything of His creation, nor does any of the creation of Allah resemble Him. There's another verse, هَلْ تَعْلَمُ لَهُ سَمِيَّةً Is any one of you aware of something equal to Allah? Another verse, Allah says, أَفَمَنْ يَخْلُقُ كَمَنْ لَا يَخْلُقُ Can that being who has created everything from non-existence be equal to those things that were brought into existence from non-existence. Afala ta'aqilun. Do you not uh, ponder? So these verses are the, the verses which are muhkam. Now that I am on this, I would uh, request that you just bear with me so that I can mention something which is of utmost importance and many times there is some confusion with regards to it. There are certain verses in the Qur'an. Now these are the muhkamat, we see it, the explicit verses which tell us what we should believe about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then there are certain verses which mention certain words which when translated we think it could have some physical connotation to Allah. Like the word yad is mentioned, yad. Yadullahi fawqa aydihim. One of the meanings of yad in Arabic is hand. Okay? But that's not the only meaning, there's, there's multiple meanings. Um, the word wajh is mentioned. One of the meanings of wajh is face. And uh, So these words, or well, there's another particular verse which also has ambiguity. So these words all have multiple meanings in the Arabic language. Yes, in English, if you're going to say face, it has one meaning. But if you say wajh in Arabic, it has multiple meanings. In the books of fiqh, uh, the scholars know that in, in the section of shirka and partnerships, the various types of partnerships which is allowed, especially in the Hanafi madhab, the one type of partnership is called shirkatul wujuh. Wujuh means, would mean face, literally, if you translate it. But it doesn't actually mean partnership of faces. It means that the, the, the prominence a person has in his society, he uses that as a basis to start his business. Okay, you know these people, we know these people, let's work on that basis. So that's the type of shirka which is discussed in the books of fiqh. We showed you in the Arabic language, wajah doesn't only mean face, but it's one of the meanings. Then there is a verse in Surah Taha and many other verses, Ar-Rahmanu ala al-Arsh istawa. And I'll translate the word, Ar-Rahman, and ala means on, and istawa. Now the word istawa is the word which I wish to explain, which is from the mutashabihat. It's got multiple meanings. If you translate it just... Literally, istawa means to settle down. And if you look in English translations, you sometimes you'll find, uh, incorrectly, there's this mistake which sometimes creeps into the translation, 
which they say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has established himself firmly or settled on the, on the arsh. Now this is a bit of a, uh, I do not want to become too technical, but I just wish to highlight these, types, these two types of verses. So automatically we see the word istawa in Arabic, what's the meaning? So in the Quran, the word istawa has got about six meanings. Was for Musa alayhi salam, it was used when Musa alayhi salam reached the age of 40 and he became ready for nubuwa. So istawa means to become ready and strong. In another surah of the Quran, the word istawa means to stand up straight. That the, the crops are standing up straight. And in fact, when you go to the haram, you'll find that the imam say, istawu, you know, istawu, stand up straight. Okay? So it shows you in the Arabic language, the word istawa has got multiple meanings. So yeah, due to not understanding this particular distinction, some people say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala physically is sitting. And that type of, of, of statement goes against the muhkam which says Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, laysa kamithlihi shay, he doesn't comprise of components because to sit I require uh, a lower half of my anatomy of my body and an upper half and this part is resting on the on the bottom okay and um, it has various limitations if something is sitting if I'm sitting like I'm sitting on this chair now then there's one of three possibilities either I'm equal to the thing that I'm sitting on in size or I'm smaller than it or I'm bigger than it in all three cases I have a limitation from the bottom and that is if these legs have to give way now as I'm sitting I'm going to fall and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna Allah laghaniyun anil alameen. Allah is totally independent. Allah is samad. He doesn't need any of his creation. So if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted, he could have created a million arsh. And he was still not in need of it. And if I tell you the vastness of the arsh as mentioned in a hadith by Imam Tirmidhi, he says that the seven heavens in comparison to Al-Kursi, Al-Kursi is a separate creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, smaller than the arsh. He says, مَالسَّمَاوَاتُ السَّبْعُ وَالْأَرْضُونَ السَّبْعُ بِجَنْبِ الْكُرْسِيِّ إِلَّا كَحَلْقَةٍ بِأَرْضٍ فَلَا It's like a ring, a ring placed in the middle of a desert. So if you take a ring and you place it in the Sahara Desert, you wouldn't be able to notice that ring even if you're standing a meter or two away from it in the desert. This is the vastness of the kursi over the Sabah samawat the seven heavens. And the seven heavens, the stars that we see at night, the stars that we can see, whether it be on a dark night, the stars we see, are only the stars of samawat dunya, which Allah has created. We beautified the sama and the sky of the dunya with these stars. And Rasulullah traveled a long distance the night of Mi'raj, which will take hundreds of light years. And he came to the door of the first sama. So there's a door, and there's a doorkeeper. And the angel said to Jibreel alayhi Jibreel alayhi salam said, Iftah, open. He said, Man, who's there? He said, Jibreel. He said, Man ma'aka, who's with you? He said, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So this way Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi went up. So seven, sab'a samawat, sab'a samawat in tibaqa, one above the other. And all those seven together in comparison to Al-Kursi, is like a ring in a desert. Then Rasulullah says, وَفَضْلُ الْعَرْشِ عَلَى الْكُرْسِيِّ 
and the vastness of the arsh over the kursi is like the vastness of that desert over a ring. Our minds won't be able to even comprehend that. In fact, in a hadith, Rasulullah says the arsh, you see, why is the arsh highlighted in this verse? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is highlighting the fact that this arsh is under his control. It is the biggest known creation of Allah to us. It's from the hadith we see that if the if the sama of this dunya is so big that we can't reach the end of it, and, and astronomers merely discussed that they discovered thousands of other types of galaxies, which is all in the sama of dunya, then how vast is the sabah samawat? And how vast would, would the kursi be in comparison to the samawat if the samawat is like a ring in a desert? And how vast would the arsh be? Rasulullah says that the malaika that have been entrusted with the responsibility of carrying the arsh of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala بين شحمة أذنه إلى عاتق رأسه مسيرة سبعمائة عام. From his one is that from one of the angels carrying the arsh of Allah from his earlobe to his shoulder is a distance of seven hundred years. So imagine the size of the rest of that angel. So they carry the arsh of Allah subhanahu wa taala, and and the arsh is the qibla of the malaika. There's a, there's there's, there's another Qibla, like we have our Kaaba in the dunya, you have Al-Baytul Ma'mur, above the seventh heaven, and you have the Arsh. The Arsh is Saqful Jannah, is the roof of Jannah, is the Arsh of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there are Malaika making Tawaf around, around the Arsh. In, in the 24th Jews, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, الَّذِينَ يَحْمِلُونَ الْعَرْشِ وَمَنْ حَوْلَهُ Those Malaika who carry the Arsh and those who are around the Arsh. There are Malaika around the Arsh and they... And they make salah facing the, facing the arsh. That is their qibla. يُسَبِّحُونَ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّهِمْ Allah says these malaika, they are so many in number, they make tasbih and glorify Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The point here is, I don't want to go too much in that, that the arsh is a creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When the arsh was not there, Allah did not need anything. After creating it, he still didn't change. So for a person to assume that now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has physically changed his form, automatically is making a mistake because he's now attributing a form to Allah. If he says Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now sitting, he's attributed components and body parts to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And by saying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sitting, he's also expressing need to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because Allah doesn't resemble his creation in any way. And this is how we know that if a person, let's say for example, somebody comes to us and, and he worships the sun. And he tells, he says that, uh, why shouldn't I worship the sun? I can see its benefit. I can see how it, how it uh, supports the water cycle and how vegetation and everything benefits from its light, etc., etc. And uh, now a person tells him, no, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Allah has created everything. He'll tell you that, but I don't believe in those verses. You, you can't present a textual answer for, for my sentiment which is not based on your text you need to give me some logical explanation and this is where this type of the, the, the lessons we derive from these muhkamat are so essential that we will say to him for example we will say okay you worship the sun now there is one rule in life we know that if something has got a limitation like for example this table which is in front of me logically it could have been two centimeters wider on either side or two centimeters or three or whatever amount, smaller. Why is it on this particular measurement? So the answer would be obvious. 
that the person who designed it intended it to be on this measurement. If he wanted it to be bigger, he would have made it bigger. The fact that it's limited and restricted to this measurement means that there was somebody who designed it and willed it to be on this particular measurement. Similarly, these, these are uh, points of common sense which any person um, who hasn't entered into the realm of sophism. Sophism is when the people just deny reality. That if you go outside, they say, no, those are not really trees. It's just something which you have named trees, which you imagine to be trees, and they don't really exist. You know? And anything you ask them, there's a variety of them, as the scholars, the philosophers, of, or the ulama of Aqidah have mentioned also, you find variants of them. Some just deny everything. No, 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 it's not. They just deny reality. So you can't have a discussion with a person like that. The, the, they say the only cure for him is to take him and put him on a highway, let a car bump him, ask him what happened, what, what hit you. Tell him it's just some part of your imagination. So, <clears throat> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so which verse was I? I don't want to digress too much again. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. What is it? The sun, yes, about the sun. Jazakumullah khairah. So we'll tell him that, uh, what, what's the shape of the sun? So he'll tell you it's round or whatever he might say. We'll say, well, logically, we can visualize a sun which has a different shape. Because there are uh, types of boulders in, out in space which are not exactly round in shape. They might be off-shaped or they might be triangular or maybe square in the shape. So intellectually, it's possible to comprehend something out there which is square or triangular, perhaps. What's the color of the sun? It's got a particular color. So it's restricted to that color. Why is it not green? Why is it not purple? Like the desk, it could have been, or the table, it could have been bigger or smaller. Why is it restricted to that particular characteristic and shape? So the logical conclusion is that there had to be some being who designed it in that particular way, who willed it to be like that, because something cannot bring itself into existence. That's like saying um, a woman gave birth to herself, which is an intellectual impossibility. So this is how these verses, which are the core verses of the Qur'an, the muhkamat, they make it firm for a person to understand and believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is beyond any resemblance of his creation. This is why we say subhanallah. The meaning of subhanallah, subhanallah is actually the translation of all what I just discussed now. Subhanallah means to attribute such purity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Usabbihu subhanallah. Oh Allah, I attribute to you such purity that there is absolutely no blemish, there is no weakness, there is nothing in your being which is defective. You do not resemble your creation, nor does your creation resemble you. So time, direction, and space, these are the things which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has restricted us to, and He is not limited and restricted to these things. So the core beliefs are what was revealed in Makkah Mukarramah. I'm just going to run quickly through the rest. And uh, this is the foundation of our aqidah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep us firm on this. Inshallah, in, in future, we'll maybe have a, um, a session of, of durus and lessons on the aqidah of Ahl-Sunnah, and we'll play, go through these same points again, inshallah, with uh, a bit more detail. Uh, the stories of the prophets of the past, because this is where Rasulullah sallallahu required that encouragement when he was being persecuted. And to, in fact, the mi'raj, which will be next week, I think, next week, isn't it? Uh, on Tuesday or Wednesday, I think, will be the 27th of Rajab. So the, the Mi'raj also came after Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa endured great difficulty. He lost his blessed wife, Sayyidah Khadija radiallahu anha. Then they were boycotted for three years. And then he went to Ta'if and he was physically abused. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala honored him. So amongst the, the, the honor and 
the comfort given to Rasulullah sallallahu the Makki verses in which the stories of the prophets of the past were mentioned, that this is what they went through, the difficulty they endured. Uh, the story of Adam and Shaitan. So when you read the verses and you see, فَسَجَدُوا إِلَّا إِبْلِيسِ وَإِذْ قُلْنَا لِلْمَلَائِكَةِ اسْجُدُوا لِآدَمِ Those verses, then you must know that's a Makki verse. These verses were generally revealed in Makkah Mukarrama before Hijrah. Uh, verses of morality and staying away from uh, indecency, etc. Verses of Jannah and Jannah. This is not uh, all-encompassing, but these are just some of the signs. It is possible that you could get verses of Jahannam revealed after Hijrah as well. Targheeb and Tarheeb. Targheeb means encouraging you to persevere and to be firm. And Tarheeb means warning you against disobeying Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Madani verses, they had the perfection of rituals because you had the, the conclusion of the ahkam of of zakah, the categories of people that you give zakah to, the masail of hajj, and psalm and fasting, and the details of salah. As we mentioned previously, salah, initially you were allowed to talk and do various things, but in Medina Munawwara it was concluded, and the finer details were revealed. And then laws, social laws, civil and governmental laws, what are the ahkam with regards to uh, uh, taking care of a community. And then there were verses regarding the Yahud and Nasara, and the various uh, uh, incidents which might have happened in the time of Rasulullah and how to deal with these communities. Then also we find verses which refer to the munafiqeen. So there were no munafiqeen in Makkah Mukarramah. So you wouldn't find any of the munafiqeen, the ayat of, of hypocrisy in Makkah Mukarramah. Makkah Mukarramah was the foundational stage in which they made an effort on the iman. So there is no room for a hypocrite because a hypocrite only emerges in easy times. And Makkah Mukarramah was all persecution and sabr and difficulty and going against the norm of the time and the family pressure and the community pressure, being boycotted, being abused. So this is one of the signs of Ahlus Sunnah that the Sahaba radiallahu anhu were accused by the Shia of being munafiq are not munafiq because the munafiqeen emerged later on in Medina Munawwara. And there's no verses of munafiqeen revealed in Makkah Mukarramah in the 13, 13 years uh, where the Sahaba radiallahu anhu dedicated their lives and um, supported Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Some of the, the styles in the, in the verses of Makkah, we'll just see, we'll find oaths such as the word kalla. So you see the word kalla, inna al-insana la yatagan, iqra, kalla. When you see the word kalla, that word kalla is an indication that these verses are revealed in Makkah Mukarrama. Uh, anything with a verse of sajda is also generally uh, a Makki verse. Then the disjointed verses, haruf muqatta'at means alif, lam, mim, kaf, ha, ya, ayn, sad. Those verses also are generally makki. And then we have the verse, ya ayyuhan nas. See, ya ayyuhan nas. So that's an address to generally to all people. Although this is also not uh, all inclusive, there are some verses which are revealed after hijrah also, addressing ya ayyuhan nas. Um, and the makki verses are shorter. And more to the point, the Madani verses has generally Ya Ayyuhal Ladina Amanu because it was an environment of believers and the longer ayat and relatively simple to understand. Okay, I mentioned this last week, Mama Suyuti Rahimahullah. He mentioned certain verses revealed during the travel uh, and when Nabi was stationed in the city of Medina, verses revealed during the day and night. Then there were verses revealed in summer and winter. Some revelation while sleeping, like the surah Inna Atainaka, was revealed while Rasulullah had taken a nap. 
and um, you can see nothing quite compares to the Makki Madani distinction in regards to the fiqhi aspect. Generally, the fiqhi masail don't get affected by uh, the difference whether a verse is Makki or Madani doesn't really affect the, the ruling which is derived by the Sahaba radiallahu anhu, the jurists of Islam, because this is just a distinction made for our, for our knowledge to understand or to get a better understanding of perhaps the environment in which these verses were, were revealed. So what is the benefit in knowing all of these topics? Adhan is now in two, three minutes. We'll just run through this. Uh, we won't fully understand certain verses without this conte- uh, contextual information. So to understand the context, that would be the first then what we discussed last week, in fact, the next dars is on Nasikh and Mansukh, abrogation. So you would know, if you know that the verse was revealed before Hijrah, and then afterwards Rasulullah said another verse was revealed related to the same thing, and the hukam and the ruling has changed, then we know the, the instruction of Nasikh, which means abrogation has taken effect, and the first would have been a verse abrogated. Um, it also gives us an insight into the psychology of Nabi Sallallahu and how his seerah was gradually applied. He, how he used the, uh, as the revelation came, presented it to the Sahaba radiallahu and prepared them to go from stage to stage in the spiritual upliftment. It also shows us the development of Islam and how Islam didn't just come as one revelation, one book all at once, but as the community was growing, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent these verses down over a period of 23 years. So on Laylatul Qadr, the Quran was revealed from Lawah Mahfuz to Baytul Izza in the first heaven, and over a period of 23 years, it came was sent to Rasulullah Sallallahu according to the needs of the community. And this is also one of the benefits. It gives us the opportunity to appreciate the preservation of the Quran even more, that we can see how much effort was made to preserve every part of the Quran by knowing when, how, where, regarding whom the verses were revealed. That makes it easy for us to appreciate that the Sahaba didn't leave anything uh, unpreserved and unprotected. And if we possess so much external information regarding the verse, we can imagine how accurately the Quran itself has been preserved. So this is just the external. So imagine how much more effort was made to ensure that the message which has been given by the Quran and explained by the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa how that was preserved, because without that we, will not be able, we might know when a verse was revealed, but what is the meaning and the message and the injunction contained therein that is given by the Sahaba radiallahu anhu, so how much accuracy and how much more they would have made effort to ensure that the, that is also preserved. This is also one of the benefits of knowing these particular uh, parts of uh, the ulum al-Qur'an. It also clears doubts regarding a certain ayat. If a person is, uh, understands where the ayat uh, fits in its time of revelation, it makes it easy for us to uh, to avoid any doubts and any confusion. Inshallah, next week we will continue with uh, another lesson on one of the aspects of Ulum al-Quran, Naskh, and also thereafter the importance of Tajweed and how it plays a role in uh, in the Ulum al-Quran, Inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all tawfiq uh, to understand and uh, absorb what we discussed today, Inshallah. Wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin.